Um, I'm pretty well on record of saying many, many times that I think the part of the New Testament that is most ignored and should be studied more is the Lord's Prayer. There's so much in there um, that really sets a basis for balanced theology if we just look at it. If I was to be asked to look at a part of the Old Testament, which I think is understudied, it would be this, what we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Now, this is not true for Judaism. Some while ago, John took us to uh, the, the Birmingham synagogue, and there at the front of the synagogue, they have their, their, their sort of plaque, and on the plaque is the Ten Commandments. So it is, they are essential for our understanding of who God is and who and what we are. Now, John asked me about a week ago to, to talk this morning on the Ten Commandments, and all week I've been thinking, oh, this is great, Lord, so much here. What can I cover? What can I cover? And uh, really, I've been quite surprised that God sort of said to me, one point, just make one point. And then John said, just do the first verse. Hang on, one point off one verse. I've got, I'm going to be over in about two minutes. So um, I'm not going to be over in about two minutes. I'm going to actually pad it out a bit and build it up a little bit. But there's one point that I think that is so important that we need to stress it and stress it and stress it. One of the nice things about talking to a mature Christian group, which I think we would politely have to say we are, is that you probably know this, and I'm sure you know it, but it bears reminding over and over again as to who, whom we are speaking and who is our God. We have that story of the burning bush. I've got two more verses to add to it. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and said to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Lots of different ways of translating that. I am who I am is, is ESV. And he said to them, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We must never forget that we are talking to the great I am. We must never move away from the point of who God is. If we go to Joshua 24, 14 to uh, 24, we read these words. Now therefore the fear of the Lord, and so now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, serve beyond the river of Egypt, and serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here is a decision that Joshua invites the people to, to follow, to serve the Lord. The first commandment is, of course, live the Lord thy God. That's it. In the... Um, I've lost my page, but never mind. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. End. We don't need any more than that. I am the Lord your God. A little while ago, um, my dear wife got really not happy, shall we say, about the way that the internet was taking over our lives. A couple of weeks ago, it went down. We were without internet. And guess who was the most unhappy person in the whole house? My dear wife. 
point I'm trying to make is that we get used to things. And then we rely upon them. As a Western society, we are used to the concept of one God. This was not so for Moses. So let's spend a moment or two and ask ourselves what Moses' background was. Now Moses, as you all know the story, was put in a river, floated down, and found by the prince, princess of Egypt. But God had a twist, and his mother got to help bring him up as well. So Moses was brought up with two competing faiths. One was that of the Egyptians, and the other was quietly whispered in his ear from his mother, who would still have access to him, was the God of the Hebrews. If we look at the God of the Egyptians, we find a long, long developing history of who and what God was. But it has in it one theme that keeps coming back, which is that of the creator God. Now, the name of this creator God changed a few times. It was Ahmen at one stage, Aten at another stage, Ra at another stage. And you can read two or three of these creation stories about the creator God of Egypt. One I like is Aten, um, um, or Aten. Um, I just read it, it says in Wikipedia. Aten was a self-created deity. So he, he created himself. The first thing to emerge from the darkness and the endless watery abyss that existed before creation was Aten. So he spoke his own words and he came out of this endless abyss, Aten. And then we have, he's replaced later on by um, an Aten Ra, who again creates himself from the uh, abysmal abyss. So that was the background that Moses had. Now let's, let's read Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here's a small point that we probably miss, but it would have been very, very apparent to Moses. Aten was created from the pre-existing whatever. Aten was created from the pre-existing whatever. What was pre-existing before the Hebrew God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing. There is no beginning to God. And we, we must not forget that point. There is no beginning to God. Aten has a beginning Aten has a beginning. Zeus had a beginning. Every god you look at has a beginning other than the creator god who the Hebrews worshipped. He had no beginning. Now you've got to ask yourself what this means as well because this is really quite mind-blowing because they have invented, they have discovered the concept of infinity. And this has huge implications later on. But that's where it all starts. It all comes back to this idea that God is without beginning. Not what Moses would have been brought up by the Egyptian gods, who all had beginnings. They all came from something. There was something before the God. Not for our God. John 1, verses 1 to 3. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what was at the beginning? God. New Testament and Old Testament. We have God in the beginning. Who made God? God has always been. There's no you can't ask the question, who made God? God has always been. Our Western society has gone through changes over the years. And just to pick up on one or two, there was a period called the Enlightenment, which is when we started to discover how important science was. And science answered all the questions. If there was a, a, any question, science would answer it. And then we get to really the end of the 18th century, 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, people start realizing, in fact, things are more important than that. They're more confused than that. And we get to the stage where science begins to explain things, but actually answers very little. You get to the stage where one of the most famous, name the most famous scientist in the world. Come on, a scientist. Oh, you would. No, somebody else. <laughs> How about Einstein? Einstein. Einstein. When Einstein was faced with some of the issues that were coming up at the start of the 20th century, he said it was too spooky. It's just too difficult to understand. It's too spooky. Because it started to, to, to become too complicated to understand. So we've gone this big circle with science, which has actually led us to our, our position today where people are beginning to no ignore scientific teaching in, in, because they want what they want instead. I want this, therefore I can have it. Not necessarily so. But the whole idea of who is God, we have not yet come to any honest answer that replaces God. Who is God? He was always there. Now this is the question that I want to raise this morning. Because this has crept into our Christian thinking. Uh, if we look at some of the, the, the choruses that we sing, particularly around about the uh, 2000 period of time, we, we've got a lot better since then, but there was a period when this really crept in. Do we serve God? Or do we ask God to serve us? Do we serve God? Or do we ask God to serve us? Let's think who he is. This is the creator God who has no beginning, has no end, has created every infinite power you can think of. Our science has gone through all sorts of ramifications. We went through this wonderful period of thinking that the universe was finite had a big bang theory, and there was the one universe that was finite. Now we've realized, hang on, if there was one big bang theory, there could be two. Well, if there was two, there could be more than two. Oh, hang on, we're back to the challenge of an infinite universe. Oh, and then we have, I'm not going to go to all the other places, but the idea of infinity will not go away. It keeps coming back. This is an infinite God. He is not very big. Don't confuse infinity with very big. It's bigger than very big. It's no big. God is not the master of time. He created time. There is no time. 
This is the God who says, have no other gods before me. And yet we have turned sometimes, we've sometimes turned this God into a Father Christmas. Who we sit down and give him our requests, our prayers, our, what we want, and then pray hard that we get them. This is not serving God. This is asking God to serve you. The Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Not my will be done. We can learn so much about our Christian faith by looking at our prayers. How much of our prayers is politely asking God to do what we think he should do? That's making him our servant. Our prayers should be prepare us to do what he wants us to do. Joshua said, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, in our Western culture today, we are so full of ourselves that we almost feel, who on earth is this God to tell me what to do? You know, how, how should he be offended by my behavior? I, I, I should be allowed to to do whatever I like, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, which is, of course, a complete misnomer, because everything we do affects somebody else. And we have this attitude that, no, God cannot be offended by me. God shouldn't take offense. He should be above that. No, God is who he is. I am who I am, is what he said in the burning bush. You can't argue with God. So when the first commandment is I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me, we need to take that very, very seriously. We are not here to negotiate with God. We are here to serve him. One of the other parts of scriptures, I think, in the New Testament is often overlooked, is Acts 4, 23 to 31. I've read this passage so many times, but I'm going to read it again. This is where the disciples have been called in before the law of the day and told you must not preach in the name of Jesus. And this was a serious threat because people have already been sort of punished or locked up and this, their lives were on the line, basically. They knew that. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and just by way of aside here, this is obviously a prepared prayer. This wasn't a spontaneous prayer. Someone sat down, they worked this out carefully, and then all said it together. Sovereign Lord, that's a good place to start. Sovereign Lord, who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they remind themselves who God is. Who through the mouths of our father David, your servant, sent by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the prophets of Israel. 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they pull themselves back and say, this is God's plan. We don't like it. Because we're being told we can't preach in the name of Jesus. We're going to get persecuted. We don't like it. But this is what your hand has predestined to take place. They did not come before God and demand that he change what had happened. They came before God and asked for strength to do what God had called them to do. They were servants. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Let's read that bit again. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Give us strength to cope with the difficulty you have allowed to come upon us, was what they said. This is having one God and serving one God and following one God. I, I've said a few times in the past, I, just, I can see many Christian um, Traditions today who would be calling the church together to fast and pray, to shake the heavens and change the world and change the mind of God and alter everything as we would like it to be. It was not what happened here. It was God has put this in front of us. We need to adapt ourselves to what God has called us to do. This is having one God. This is following the one God. This is serving the one God. Does that mean to say God abandons us and leaves us? Well, no, not at all. The Bible is also full of promises. If we follow God, he is there with us. Will he lead us alone? No, he won't. Is he helping you? Yes, he is. But take each of those, context, those promises in context, and they are promises for those people who are following God, not for people who are giving God orders. This is a big step in our Christian life. It's a big step to, to, as we grow up as adults. You know, one of the challenges for um, young teenagers, or I'm sure we, we, we have all been children, we've all had children, many of us have got grandchildren, and we see this happening over and over again. If a baby wants something, what does it do? Hollers. Effectively. Somebody once did some psychological studies on pain threshold of human hearing. And about the most painful place for human hearing is a screaming baby. There's a reason for that. The baby gets attention. It hollers, it cries, it demands. What's the correct thing to do? Give it what it needs. If you try the same thing as an adult, it doesn't go down very well. Somewhere in between, you have to make that transition from being a screaming baby to a responsible adult. And most of us see this transition happening. Usually it starts about eight or nine, and hopefully it's over by the time they're 12 or 13, you hope. But the kids wake up and realize, oh, screaming is not the way to get my own way. I have to start being responsible. I have to start taking on responsibility. 
You've all seen that in your children. Maybe you can remember it in yourselves. It's the same as Christians. When we first become Christians, we are babes in Christ. And to some extent, we holler at God to get our own way. God is gracious. He often helps that way. He often listens to those hollering. As you get older in Christ, you start to realize, no, I'm here to serve God, not God to serve me. And we go through a period of transition where we should come to a place where we recognize we are called to serve him, not him to serve us. I've had more than one exchange of communication, shall we say, between Bible colleges and people like that, where they write off, um, we are training tomorrow's leaders. God wants leaders. And I've been writing, no, he doesn't. He wants followers. You should be training tomorrow's followers, not tomorrow's leaders. One group of people that I'm sure we all know quite well had it in one of their basic training manuals. Come to God, and what you do in the first couple of weeks is you sit down and you tell God what you'd want to happen with your life. And then you ask God and he'll help you make it happen. It's completely upside down. It's completely the wrong way around. You should be coming to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Not, I'm coming to you, God, to tell you what I would like to do with my life. Great for babies, not for adults. To have one God, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. This is what it means. It's not a statement of fact, one God, yeah, great, got that one. It's calling you to serve him in this submissive way. He will be with you, he will help you, he will, be, he will have his hand with you. He's not going to leave you alone. But the main thought is, I am serving him, not he is serving me. Another point to come to, which we might look at next week, is when you have one God, you have one morality. We, we live in a society which is trying to be um, multicultural and multi-everything, which means, of course, everybody can choose their own God. Oh, isn't this wonderfully libertarian? Yes, we all choose our own God. But let me remind you that um, there was a religion that came to prominence in Germany in the 1930s, and that was a religion. Do we tolerate that? Do we turn around and say, that religion, well, it's a good religion, you know, people want to hate Jews and put them in gas chambers? Fine, that's their religion. Where do we stand up and say, no, no, there is a line. You don't cross that line. If you have a multi-ethnic, not what ethnic, a multi-faith position, you have multi-morality. And those moralities are not all equal. We saw that in the 1930s. Don't make the mistake again. And we're seeing today the Christian morality, the Judo-Christian morality, pushed down and down and down. We, we now have a problem, I believe, which is coming up, where statements made by the present king are in conflict with the statements he's going to be asked to make at his coronation. He has said in the past, and as far as I know, he, he might have backtracked on this a bit, but he hasn't he taken it away. He wants to be the defender of faith. 
not defender of the faith. He wants to defend people's right to have a faith. Does that mean he's going to defend the rights of Nazis? Who draws the line? Who says what is good, what is not good? Who draws the line and says that far and no further? Well, the answer for us is there is one God, and we follow him. We follow the teachings that he has given us. We follow these Ten Commandments. We follow the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. And that will put you in conflict with uh, the world today. A woman was arrested recently for standing outside an abortion clinic and praying. She did nothing but stand and pray. And she was arrested in the United Kingdom standing in the street praying. Now, I'm not going to make any comment of whether she should have been, whether it was wise or it wasn't wise, whatever. That is not the point. The point is she was arrested for standing there and praying. This is the society we're in. We need to get back to understanding this one first commandment, the greatest and first commandment that God gives us. There is one God, and we follow him. And follow him means not just recognize he exists, but keeping his law. The second commandment, of course, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the commandments. Move away from them, and we're going to see huge problems. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us voiceless. We thank you that this is your problem, not ours. We thank you, Lord, that you will not leave us without leaders. You will not leave us without a word. But give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the ability to hear what you are saying to us, to be followers of you, not leaders of you, not to make you in our image, but to ask that we are made in your image. We thank you, Lord, for your son who came and died for us, who opened the doors for us, who gave us a path to salvation. We thank you for that Holy Spirit who you sent to guide us, to lead us. So we're not alone, but we pray, Lord, for courage and for strength to say that we have one God and we follow him. Amen.